This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Total Saints Podcast. Due to the ongoing coronavirus concerns, I can confirm this podcast is being recorded behind closed doors in self-isolated conditions. Despite that, we'll be giving it our full energy, as we always do, on all things Saints FC. I'm delighted to say joining Steve, Glenn and myself this week is Daily Echo sports reporter Dan Sheldon. Dan, thanks as always for joining us. Uh, we'll talk a, a bit about it in more detail as we go through the pod, but I can imagine it's been a bit of a weird week for you, has it? Yeah, really strange week. Started, obviously, with the accounts going to the club for that and then got them out of the way then Thursday going down to Staplewood which was quite a surreal day because everyone sort of you know there's only one thing people are talking about and that mm. was well what the government are going to say later this evening then left Staplewood spoke to Ralph and you think well whatever he said could be redundant in about an hour and a half two hours proved to be completely redundant and then Thursday again mad in terms of how the Premier League handled things made a fool out of themselves really and then got to Friday and our website crashed. So, yeah, it's been a fairly interesting week. Well, it's great to have you on, Dan. Um, on this episode, we'll chat about Saints 2019 financial results, including Dan's visit to see the club's managing director earlier this week, Toby Still. With the current postponement of all football in England, amongst other places, of course, there is no action to review or preview. So we'll briefly chat about the impact coronavirus has had and potentially will have over the coming weeks. And thanks to Donald Trump leaving the borders open for us Brits until Monday at the least, I've also managed to venture into the USA a couple of times this week as we first catch up with Ali Alazari and then TSP Patreon. Alex Hart. Ali, bless him, had spent weeks arranging a fans event in Chicago on the 4th of April, which has now had to be cancelled. But having recorded with me a couple of weeks ago, still wanted to include his story on this episode of the pod. Hopefully the event can happen again soon. And Alex is a long-time TSP patron based in California. He and I chat Saints, Ralph Hasenhutl and Summer Hopes. Right, let's get on with it. Partner with SaintsArchive.com and SaintsWorld.co.uk and sponsored by HappyHotTubs.co.uk, where you can get 10% off hot tubs, chemicals and accessories if you mention TSP in store. This is Total Saints Podcast, episode 106. Okay, it's March. What happy hot tub offer can we come up with for our lucky customers this month? Well, we could do nothing for a change. I like it. I think we do so many deals. Nothing. No deposit, no interest, nothing. What? No, no, I mean... It's perfect. All through March, you can buy any hot tub from Happy Hot Tubs with no deposit and three years interest-free finance. You deserve happy at happyhottubs.co.uk. Excludes free throw range. See website for details. Before we get going then, Glenn, uh, I thought uh, a really good point for Saints, uh, the champions of Man City yesterday, thanks largely to some solid single-handed tactical work from Gordon Simpson, the manager and editor at Saints. 
Yeah, there wasn't much effort to win the game, was there? We we were just defending, same as usual, um, <laughs> letting them get two in the line and then and then defending, and that was it. <laughs> I can't believe I'm talking about this. Anyway, yeah, um, if only it was that easy to get a point against Manchester City. That's all I can say about that. Yeah, and uh, I thought it was an interesting move, Steve. I don't know about you, but I'd always go in the middle first, but uh, Gordon decided to start bottom right, and uh, I guess it does show that you can still come away with something from noughts and crosses or tic-tac-toe for our American friends, even if you don't start in the middle. Yeah, controversial choice, I thought, but um, take a point any day of the week. <laughs> right, as I mentioned earlier, it's been an unprecedented week in the life of humans with so much decision-making to be made around the impact of coronavirus in our day-to-day lives. We all know there is more important things in life than football, but this is a football podcast, so we're going to chat about the impact of it, with games in England currently postponed in the Premier League and EFL until the 3rd of April. While not all being medical experts by any stretch of the imagination, uh, unfortunately we don't have a doctor with us tonight because Lucy's not with us, but uh, I was thinking there's probably some good credentials still within the panel that we can probably cover off now just to give everyone a a little bit of confidence. So, I mean, from my point of view, I was thinking I can definitely throw in a 200-metre swimming badge and an under-14s most improved player. Um, Dan, you must have some sort of journalistic accreditation, haven't you? Oh, I've got a degree, but that's not going to help anyone that's got the virus, I don't think, unless I want to write about it. What's the degree in? Journalism. Journalism, there we go, that's a good start. So, And then Steve and Glenn, I was thinking, Steve, you must have a Potwell membership, and I know you've got PHP coding skills, and Glenn's probably got an extensive backlog of punk rock, so we've got quite a collection between us. Yeah, they've got the uh, technology angle covered, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure that um, Johnny Rotten and uh, my knowledge of, of him is, is going to be a great deal of help um, at this time of crisis. <laughs> All right, well, it doesn't sound like we've got too much experience around it, but let's see how we get on. But, uh, Glenn, I mean, joking aside, focusing on the, the Premier Leagues from our point of view, then the postponement, in the end, I guess it was less about the right decision and probably more just no option. Yeah, um, as was alluded to earlier on, everyone was kind of faffing around with this, uh, tiptoeing around it right up until Friday of um of last week the game was never ever going to go ahead um in the same way that the the league is never going to restart on the 3rd of april mm. it's just it's just not going to happen they they they're just hoping for some sort of miracle on both counts and it and it was it was never going to happen so uh, i mean there was and i think norwich actually published a statement was it on thursday saying game's going ahead as normal guys and <laughs> um it was never ever going to be the case um and it some things as you say are uh, are bigger than football um, I mean, it's the first time I can remember. I'm sure someone knows sort of when the last time the league was suspended. Um, it was probably the war, was it? I don't know, Second World War. But um, there's been nothing like this in my lifetime. So, uh, and that's quite a while. So, um, I was say, yeah, I you so... mentioned the war, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Boer War. But uh, <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see what, what happens with it. Um, it. It does sort of worry me that um, if it's left to football authorities mm. you do you do wonder how much their thinking is going to be about public safety and how much is going to be about protecting the money yeah um and, and all that sort of thing um, and whilst commercial considerations um are important in the modern world obviously um hopefully any decision that's reached on this is um is based on public safety first and foremost yeah and dan from saint's point of view then um you know, obviously we mentioned in the intro it's probably been a bit of a weird week for you i guess it's been a bit of a weird week for them as well because you know ralph and the team wouldn't have necessarily known what was happening until friday when the game was called off so do you think it's been kind of hard for them to sort of prepare for that or do you think they were just preparing as normal until anyone told them otherwise well, it, it, that is it really i mean you can they could only have prepared for normal and that was yeah. pretty much the, re- the message from ralph Everyone had their own ideas about what might and what might not happen, but his job is to prepare the team to go and play Norwich. But I mean, even at the club on Thursday, they were in the dark as much as you were in the dark or as Mm. I was in the dark. You know, everyone was just waiting to see what Boris Johnson was going to say because the Premier League were going to actually take their guidance from him because it's all to do with like insurance and whatnot. So when Boris Johnson came out and said, mass gatherings we're not putting a stop to that, then the Premier League said, okay, well, that's great, let's play on. So at that point, Saints are then, you know, thinking, right, we're going to play. And then obviously, like, Glenn's just mentioned uh, with Mikel Arteta coming out and then confirming it. Then a half an hour later, there was another statement saying, yeah, we're going to have another meeting tomorrow morning. Mm. And just on a point Glenn made about, you know, he hopes they'd do it for the right reasons and not for money. I found it interesting that until that Mikel Arteta statement, you know, they weren't bothered about the thousands of fans that were going to be sat inside the ground. But as soon as a manager had it, it was almost the end of the world. Yeah, you know, yeah. So again, that just pays what are they really interested in, of course, the bottom line. 
Yeah, completely. And uh, at the moment then, Steve, the authorities here, are, uh, as we mentioned, planning to review things again on the 3rd of April, I think. I guess that would be with the view that the 4th of April fixtures would happen, which I think, you know, we agree probably are all unlikely, bearing in mind people need to get back up to match fitness, or, let alone just sort of finishing self-isolating and that sort of thing. But we're hypothesising a bit here, but do you see things changing much by then, given all the sort of professional advice and timescale predictions that are out there? No, I think it's going to get worse. Yeah. You can't really tell who exactly is an expert on on social media and stuff, but the people who seem to kind of know what they're talking about are saying, well, April is an absolute fantasy. There's mm. absolutely no way that that's going to, that that's going to happen. Um, I saw in The Independent yesterday, I think, that they were bracing themselves for, for like a possible restart in September. Mm. And, I mean, to be honest, that seems more feasible to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, what you do in terms of where this season goes, does it end now? Um, do you just put a pause on it until till September and play it out six months later? Mm. Um, who knows? I mean, I mean, let's face it. Everyone's had a bit of a laugh and a giggle over, over this week that they might just completely annul this season so Liverpool get completely shafted no league title um, that they've been looking for for the last 30 years Leeds don't get promoted Pompey don't get a day out of Wembley um, but of course because the Carabao Cup has finished yeah. the 4-0 still stands absolutely yeah yeah, I agree with you Yeah, um, I mean, it I'm not feeling much sort of disappointment here there's nothing that's really sort of affecting me Oh, I mean, that's, that's, a, I mean, that's, no that's, a, yeah, there, there are very few downsides for us yeah. in, in that scenario. But, I mean, sort of all joking apart, there are livelihoods at stake mm. at all levels of, of the game. Mm. Um, I went along to one of the very few games that actually took place yesterday at, um, at Sutton United, and they got a bigger crowd than usual in mm. because basically there were no other games on. But a club like that, I mean, they've got, I think, four home games left this season. And the revenue generated from those four home games basically pays the wages between now and the end of the season at the end of April. Um, So they're probably looking at a shortfall of about, I would guess, around 20 to 30 grand. And for businesses of that size, that could prove fatal. And this is obviously not just a football thing. This is going to be businesses in all industries. Mm. Airlines are going to be screwed. I don't really know how clubs and and other businesses aren't going to go to the wall in in the next few months yeah and i guess that's the thing um dan isn't it we're sort of talking about livelihoods and careers and i know harry Geddes had sent us a question sort of maybe more around the financial results but it probably applies to this as well you know we're talking about players coming up to the end of their contracts um you know even with saints at the end of this uh season and things like that you know ralph had spoken a lot hadn't he about getting to 36 points and other clubs will be looking at players that are going to be out of contract so if the season starts again in september what you have to do roll them over for six months or something like that i mean there's so many questions you you know as i say i reiterate back that people dying is the most important thing here we need to stop it but from focusing on football here there are so many ifs and buts yeah exactly and i mean that's what couldn't agree more with steve in the sense that let's be honest football is not going to be starting again at the beginning of april but this Mm. two this just gives them two and a half three weeks or whatever it is to put their heads together think of something yeah because these are all the questions. I mean, it's the same for every football club. And then you think about players that have already signed pre-contractual agreements yep. that start on the 1st of July. You know, there's so many sort of questions to be answered uh, going forward. And players like Cedric Suarez. I mean, he yeah. joined Arsenal on loan and he may not play one game before he leaves the club. No. Well, he yeah, was, he wasn't going to play anyway, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the first question is, how are they going to finish the league? Mm. You mean, they have to finish the league. I'm not. I'm, I'm of the opinion that you can't cancel it. Um, you know, you can't just call it to a halt here and say, right, where you finish is where you end up. That's not fair. I mean, I'm not a Liverpool fan. I know I won't get a lot of credit for saying this, but, you know, Liverpool do deserve to win the league. You know, they're, what, two wins away from it. It's so tight at the bottom. Goal difference is the difference between Bournemouth, West Ham and another team, I can't think. So, uh, Watford. Watford. Yeah, Watford. Watford. Yeah. However, whatever it takes, you know, even if, like Steve said, let's say they started it in September, mm. it's only nine games. 10, 9 games, which would actually probably make it quite interesting, you know, mm. have the break and then you're straight into it. Right. We've got nine games to go. Champions League qualification still up for grabs, Europa League and relegation. Mm. There's too much to play for for just to call it, call it to a halt. Yeah. And, you know, what would that sort of do? to the competition going forward as well it wouldn't look great no completely and I, I think the thing with Liverpool I, as I say whilst we on this pod 
don't particularly like them. You know, you're right, they do deserve to win the league, but from a mathematical point of view, they haven't mathematically won it, so they are screwed a little bit at the moment. But uh, I think uh, I had to chuckle that Karen Brady, uh, one of the owners at West Ham, was very quick to say that the season should be void, but then they would say that when they're in the position they're in. I bet she wouldn't be saying it if they were third or something like that. But, uh, um, Glenn, I mean, I guess the, the thing is, you know, we are hypothesising and we are predicting here, but there's obviously going to become a point where there's going to be like a cutoff really for restarting the season and making a decision on that because you know one season will will merge into another we're potentially not going to have pre-seasons the players might not mm. get any time off then i mean again if you start the league in september and play the last 10 games or you know that sort of thing what what happens or if you start a brand new season in september then you know players haven't had a chance necessarily for pre-season if they're self-isolating and things like that as well i mean it's no. it, it's a real mess isn't it once this is cleared up you can always catch up mm. so if the next season doesn't start till November, for argument's sake. You can catch up with things with bidding off cup competitions and internationals and, and all that sort of stuff. One has to assume that the, the Euros is going to move 12 months in the summer, which which gives a bit more time. But I mean, as things stand at the moment, July the first is a bit of a is a bit of a key date, as um, as Dan said, because it's mm. it's it's when all the contracts end and start and all this sort of stuff. So six weeks to play the nine games i guess so you're talking mid-may yeah um it needs to start by mid-may which seems very optimistic for there not to be major disruption going into next season Mm. and all the issues over player contracts and and all that sort of stuff and let alone all the commercial stuff that goes on around around football clubs Um, and i was reading something about the euros it might sound like an easy thing to just move the euros 12 months Mm. but the amount of money that's been invested you know in the tournament by various people it doesn't it doesn't make it just a simple thing to do um Mm. which is uh is the problem with football being the commercial game that it is these days we can only like sort of speculate but in my head if i when i think about it i think logically well if you can get to a point where they just finish the season by playing behind closed doors for no one self-isolating, blah, 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 it, towards the end of April, early May, then they can finish that going mm. into June. Playing behind closed doors won't be a problem for Premier yeah. League sides. They're not going to lose money. It's the teams that Steve was mentioning that are the ones that yeah. are going to really sort of suffer from that. Yeah. But that would be one logical way they do it is, you know, get to the end of April, beginning of May, start up again, but just behind closed doors. Isn't it obscene, though, that we're, we're talking about, I mean, Steve's mentioned there, I know it was a bit of a guess, but 30 grand for Sutton United losing mm. four home games or whatever, that's one of our players out on loans wages for a week. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we, we're talking about teams in the in the football pyramid and Sutton United. What, what level are they, Steve? Uh, National League. National League. So it's only like the fifth level. Mm. Yep. And it's not as if they're the 11th level no. or whatever. This is not so far removed from the, or it shouldn't be so far removed from the Premier League. So how can we not support teams like that mm. through this difficulty which is obviously going to affect them one way or another be the fixtures get called off or be they play behind closed doors yeah spot on Glenn no I couldn't agree more and uh, I think that's always been a you know concern has it you've seen Barry go to the wall this season for various reasons but uh, yeah um, I guess from a, a Saints point of view then Dan getting back to them um they weren't scheduled to play after this weekend until that game at Watford on the 4th of April anyway, so they were due to have a couple of weeks off. Um, I think I saw your tweet saying Ralph had given them this weekend off, but that they had to self-isolate and then be back into training. So from what you've heard, what, what do you sort of think their plans are going to be for the coming weeks? A mixture of time off, self-isolation and some training, or do you think they'll try and you know reconvene maybe in a couple of weeks' time and see how things are going then? Well, I mean, like you said, the, the plan always was that they won't play next weekend anyway, but they were going to use the next two weeks up until the international break when obviously all the players were expected to go off to train, get ready for Watford. There was no plans to go on holiday or anything like that. It always was to train over these next two weeks. Mm. But like my reading of it now is you know, from a couple of people I've spoken to that because of what is going on with coronavirus, you know, they're just going to take it day by day now. That's yeah. all they really can do. I mean, at the moment, late Sunday evening, you know, None of the players are showing any signs or symptoms of it when they left Staplewood before the weekend. But, you know, say on Wednesday, one of the players developed it or had caught it, you know, then all the players then have to go away again for however long. And that is why the football won't start again at the beginning of April with reasons like that. So from a Saints point of view, it'll be not business as usual, but, you know, business as usual, preparing for Watford. And then they do that for the next two weeks and then I imagine they'll reassess the situation mm. during the when it would have been the international break in terms of what to do with the players you know do you let them not go away on, on holiday but give them a few days off to recover so yeah but I mean it's all just so up in the air at the moment you know like I say it's just 
speculation really but that's their plan for the next two weeks going forward take it day by day but it's only essential staff at staplewood now mm. so they can control that and then it's just yeah take it day by day and move on really yeah obviously we saw a couple of ex-saints players this week her uh, uh, contracted the symptoms uh, manolo gabbiadini and arta boric so obviously we wish them both well i had to chuckle at what self-isolation must be like for arta boric around his house i imagine there's wild parties going on and that sort of thing Right, it's time to head stateside and catch up with a couple of US-based Saints fans. Firstly, it will be Ali Alazari in Illinois, and then on to Alex Hart over in California. As you may remember, a few weeks ago we had John Parron on from the Southampton Australian supporters talking about the 2020 road trip to Brisbane. Well, I'm delighted to say that we're now heading to the other side of the world and Illinois, USA. Ali Elizari joins TSP. Ali, thanks for coming on. Tell us briefly about your background with the City and Club. Hi, Ben. Uh, thanks for having me on. I uh, actually have a long background with Southampton. Actually, my mom is originally from Ringwood mm-hmm. uh, near the New Forest there. So I was actually brought up being a Southampton FC fan, although I did grow up in the Chicago area yep. and uh, lived my entire life uh, mainly in the United States. And then uh, I ended up joining the United States military. And directly after I got out, I decided I wasn't ready to move back home. And uh, started looking at uh, universities, and I decided to go and apply for the University of Southampton, where I attended. And uh, from there, I lived in Southampton for four years, and I got to ignite the passion of you know my love for Southampton FC. Yeah, excellent. And uh, just to give us an idea, uh, without asking the age, Ali, of your sort of generation, who were some of your favorite players when you were following them in your younger years? Well, of course, uh, James Beattie, uh, Matt Letissier. Uh, Marianne Pajars. Uh, you know, it was very difficult back in that time frame, uh, being a, a resident of the United States, to mm. really watch and engage fully uh, with Southampton. My dad used to take me to the pub but uh, when I was younger, but, you know, usually those games were Arsenal, Man United, Liverpool, you know, obviously the big, yep. the big four, big five teams. But uh, my mom used to travel back and forth to visit family from Chicago to Southampton. And every single time she'd come back, she'd bring me back a new Southampton kit. <laughs> so, you know, I've got a lot of pictures of me in high school with the old kits and really just um, started following them remotely about 2001 when, uh, you know, St. Mary's was just kind of getting built and yep. uh, we were starting our campaign there. So that's it. And then uh, once I moved to Southampton, it was all over for me. I, I went 100% in and... Uh, got new heroes <laughs> <laughs> no excellent all right and uh, you know the pod we're very grateful and we had joe prince right on the 100th episode you probably know joe he works for nbc as a big saints fan he spoke a lot about trying to convert some of the american public into saints fans and that sort of thing ali um, just from the the point of view of saints fans that are based over in the states that may not know how do you guys sort of keep in touch with each other is there facebook groups or twitter groups that you guys tend to all congregate to if you have access to Facebook, which everybody has access to Facebook, there is a group called the United States of Southampton FC. Uh, that's how I uh, started realizing we are spread across mm-hmm. the United States very thinly, but we are around. And, uh, you know, I started uh, talking to people across the United States and actually globally as well. Yeah. Uh, one person that we talked about, Ben, a little earlier, Trevor sure. uh, from Australia, he's actually one of the admins for United States of Southampton FC, and uh, he's very heavily involved and um, I'm in contact with him uh, pretty regularly um, usually on match days yeah so that's the way that you kind of connect with other Southampton FC fans across the United States brilliant and uh, yeah obviously you mentioned the uh, the Facebook group there so people can sort of find the details on that if they've got any sort of further questions or any sort of further information they want to try and find out is there anyone sort of specific they can get in touch with Ali like yourself I mean should they try and message you through Facebook or is there an email address or something like that they can go ahead and message me directly on Facebook, um, Ali Elazari, E-L-A-Z-H-A-R-I. You can look for me or actually you can just post uh, whatever questions you have on the United States of Southampton FC Facebook page. Myself or Trevor uh, will be happy to uh, relay any sort of information that we have. Thanks for coming on TSP to tell us a bit about it. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it.
Right, we continue our American road trip as we leave Illinois and head to the West Coast and LA, joining Alex Hart, a Mad Saints fan, and also, more importantly for us, a dedicated TSP patron. Alex, good to have you on the pod again after last season's visit. Hey, Ben, great to be back, and thankfully it's another year of Premier League football. Yeah, absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. And, uh, you know, we're uh, still incredibly grateful for your TSP patronage, as we are for your good friend John, of course, John Fisher. Um, But how are you keeping in general? Keeping well. I mean, I think, you know, I, I work for a hospital system, so things are uh, a little crazy right now. I'm, I'm not a, a frontline medical staff, so we're all working from home, and it looks like that's going to be the case for the time being. So yeah. interesting time, and in a way, since we're all at home, it's almost a harder time to be, to be without football for the, <laughs> for the foreseeable future. I, th- I think there's two C words now, isn't there? There's a rude one and obviously the second C word that's going around the world at the moment. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like most of the places in the world, coronavirus is something that's uh, all of the talk of the town here. We're, we're seeing a lot of Mr. Trump in the press and uh, a lot of uh, news around what America's doing. But for you as a, a national based, uh, you know, over there, how's it sort of been in terms of preparing yourself and trying to manage it? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we, we were talking briefly before the, the pod started about we're a few weeks behind where mm. the UK is, and it seems the UK is a, a few weeks behind where the rest of Europe is. So on one hand, I think we have the, the benefit of sort of seeing where this could go or where this might end up going and, and trying to prepare a little bit. At the same time, I think pretty unprecedented and, and yeah. uh, hard to hard to really know. I think, you know, I, I've been working from home the past week, supposed to be for the next few weeks. Same with my girlfriend. It's just... It feels like, you know, from from people I know in the medical field that a lot of people are saying in two weeks we might have a better picture, but also in two weeks we might be saying in two weeks we might need more of a picture. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of a lot of ambiguity and just kind of trying to get through it and, you know, enjoy it as best as possible. And being able to work from home is always a little bit of a perk. Totally. And uh, yeah, keep washing our hands. Obviously, that's what we all need Obviously. to do. So, uh, yeah. No. And not I, touching our faces. <laughs> I think I've washed my hands more in the last week than I have in the previous 38 years. But there we go. So, uh, um, look, I mean, obviously, the, the reason for getting you on, Alex, uh, alongside, of course, the, the TSP patron, as I mentioned, is, uh, you know, always good to catch up with people to get their views on Saints. We just uh, had a chat to Ali in Illinois and then obviously um, yourself as well. So, yeah, I mean, what have you generally made of the season, you know, up until the point of uh, being sort of suspended, but um, worth the early wake up calls or not? I would say, uh, well, better than the last two in that regard. I mean, the the, the Pellegrino season in particular was, it just felt so dire around Mm. the club. So I would say definitely it still feels like there's a little bit more of the positive momentum with with Ralph being around, though. You know, I think I mentioned this last time I was on it. It's very interesting to see, you know, I think soccer or football um, (laughs) is being such the main sport in the UK that the swings that you get on a per match basis are, are just so extreme in terms of, oh, you know, we've won a couple matches in a row and it's we're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, and you kind of hit a, a you know, an, an off patch and all of a sudden it's oh, we're the worst thing in, in the world. Um, so I think it's interesting to sort of see it with that perspective. But I think, you know, on the whole, about what you'd expect, maybe a little bit more about what you'd expect in terms of position, but maybe a little bit more streaky in terms of results. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, you know, it, it was really fun getting to kind of go back to thinking about the match against Chelsea, the match against Leicester, you know, both those victories yeah. that felt a little bit more like the, the Kuman barnstorming era, you mm-hmm. know, it felt a little bit like we could go anywhere and, and play with anybody. So that was really enjoyable. I'd say, Definitely some low points. I think the last few weeks, I, I almost wonder if all the talk around 36 points, the, the magical 36 points number is starting to get into people's heads a little yeah, bit of, yeah. okay, we just need that one more win and then we can take our foot off the gas. And, you know, obviously who knows what it's going to look like after this, but I almost feel like I wish Ralph hadn't said 36 points. Mm. You know, if he'd said maybe, okay, we'll get to 41 and then it felt a little bit further out because it's just one win and it feels like it's just that little hurdle that we've made for ourselves that we're having trouble getting over. Yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be kind of ironic now if we don't have the opportunity to get to those 36 points, but we'll see what yeah. happens. But uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously you mentioned some of the highlights there, which is um, great. I mean, if you had to pick one moment from the season that you're going to look back on forever fondly, Alex, is there something that sticks in the mind, a goal or a match or anything like that? Yeah, I think uh, I, I will say, and this will also touch on, I think you were going to ask about my low light and, and I'll, I'll kind of touch two birds with one stone sure, with this. It. Yeah, that's good. After the Newcastle match, 
the the first one, mm-hmm. I was pretty down. I was pretty convinced that 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 we were in trouble. Mm. Um, Andy Carroll, oh, God, <laughs> I mean, quick aside, my first match I ever saw Saints play was maybe two or three years ago over over Christmas. Maybe it was Boxing Day at yeah. West Ham. I sat in the West Ham stands because I couldn't get an away seat for the Saints. My parents came with me. We got up one nothing on like a very fluky goal. I think it maybe like was an own goal that hit off Wanyama. Right. And then they brought in Andy Carroll in the second half and scored two goals and we lost two one. <laughs> and it was like watching that all over again and our inability to deal with uh, the physical striker and and that was just a match we dominated. I really thought okay we should win this. And when we didn't win that match, I I actually said something to my friends saying I think this could be it. This could be a <laughs> tough year. And then I think the next match, or maybe one after that, was the match against Watford. Mm. And that first half was pretty bleak and pretty abysmal. John yeah. and I were actually watching that match together yeah, yeah. Uh, at my parents' house again over the over the holidays, and it looked pretty close. Like, okay, this this could be where we're headed this year. And then you know, obviously the Ings goal to to make things more interesting, and then JWP stepping up with a, a free kick when it really mattered. I yeah. think. That was a, a a really big catalyst because ultimately at some point, you know, you, you can be playing well, but getting the results, you just kind of have to get the results yeah. by, by hook or by crook and by grinding it out. And that felt like a match where we didn't play very well, but we got the result that we kind of had to get. And I think really, you know, we, we talk about sort of the, the places where we've seen momentum build the second international break, after, you know, before the I think it was before the Arsenal match. Mm-hmm. But we still hadn't necessarily been getting those results. And then that Watford match, we got the result. And I think that gave us so much more. That's what gave us really the boost going forward through through the holiday period. Yeah, I think you're right. I was at that game as well. Um, you know, we went down from Edinburgh for it, and I I've spoken about it a few times actually. But I remember uh, Alex McCarthy making a save with his uh, feet. You know that would have made it two 0 and he managed to just sort of flick it over the bar, and uh, you know we managed to keep it at one 0 and I think yeah, turn the the game around there. But um, what about players then? Um, Danny Ings is the obvious choice, Alex. But mm. any any others that have sort of rated highly on the heart satisfaction scale this season? <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun to watch us with a striker that feels very in form at times. So you know, I, I think clearly he's cooled off a little bit, but I think. Just what he brings to the club in terms of work ethic, personality. Uh, he feels like a player who plays for the badge, plays for the crest. I think he's, regardless of whether or not he's scoring goals, he's always going to be a great player to have. I mean, I think I think I said the same person last year. I think James Ward-Prowse has mm-hmm. been fantastic. And I think, you know, I, I love this heel turn that he's taking. We're becoming this a little bit more of a, a master of the dark arts, I think is quite enjoyable to see because he just looks like the sweetest guy on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Between him and Matty Target, it was like, you know, the, the two baby face boys. <laughs> but to see him kind of take on that role, I think has been really helpful. I think depending on what happens with Hoiberg, he's mm. probably a natural choice for the per captaincy in the future. I'd also probably, you know, it's funny, defensively our record is quite abysmal because of that result. And also we haven't been great at this season defensively. But, mm. you know, I think you have to give credit to Jack Stevens for coming in and settling things down for the most part and, yeah. and keeping us a bit more organized. I mean, I think if you told me before the season between the five center backs we'd had on the roster that Jack Stevens was going to be the most important, I was going to say... You know, you can just pencil us in for a, a long season. And I think someone with the club actually said that, which is crazy. But he has been pretty valuable. And I think one of the things I'm always impressed with, he's really good at cutting out balls into the strikers on the ground, reading yep. them sort of and coming forward with them, which I think is a great skill for us to have in Ralph's system. Beyond that, yeah, unfortunately, it's been pretty limited, I would say, yeah. beyond that. I think it's been pretty up and down and... Redmond will always be a, a, a crucial player for us, and, and I rate him. I think he struggled a lot at the start of the season, and when he struggles, he tries to do a little too much. Um, but, you know, I think getting him back in Stu would probably be my last one. Stu's been yeah. great. I think he, he really anchors that side, that right side, which is still a bit of a mess behind him. So those would be the guys I would name. No, completely. All right, that's great. And uh, you mentioned Ralph Hasenhutl earlier, Alex. Um, how do you assess him this season overall? I am such a big Ralph fan, and I think if if you're a Saints fan, it's it's hard not to be. Yeah. I think realistically, looking at the past couple of years, we we may have gotten away with may have gotten away with it a little bit, you know, in terms of maybe that year against Swansea, it it, it should have been us in terms of the results and just sort of how the year went. But 
we got away with it. We kept Hughes, which I think everybody recognizes now as a, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, a short-sighted move. We brought in Ralph, and I think without him, I think we would be in a much more dire situation. Yeah. I think he's great. I love him. I think the personality he brings is is fantastic. I think sometimes, and we saw this at the beginning of the year, I think occasionally we see this still pop up from time to time. He tries to be a little too clever, a little too smart. And again, this is me pointing out the negatives more than the positives yeah, because yeah, I think but I think I agree with him. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yep. The a little too clever and a little too just um you know trying to play the the chess match a little bit. I, and I think so a little bit. Totally. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And sometimes you kind of just need the the result and to put out the best eleven. Um, and I think he's done that for for a good chunk of the season. Mm. Sometimes I feel like his first substitution comes a little late, mm-hmm. and it can be. I, I feel like he often subs in a positive direction. You know, I think in a few matches I wondered, could we bring in Oriole in the 60th, 65th? Could we bring in maybe another center back? Particularly yep. like if you think about the last match, the Newcastle match. I yep. mean, we, it looked pretty clear that a draw would be a good result. Could you bring in someone a little bit more defensive minded? And I think sometimes it, it matches will go on and it's the, 65th, 70th minute, I, I will start to feel like I'm seeing players fatigue a little bit. Somebody like Buffal, Armstrong, who don't always look like they can make the full 90. And it's like, maybe just make the sub just that little bit earlier. And that might give us that boost that we need to, if not, you know, shore up the back, you know, sometimes just fresh legs can help you go forward even yeah. and, and get that second goal. So I think that's my biggest concern. But on the whole, I mean, he's, He's done so much, I think, to rejuvenate the club attitude-wise and, and, and mentality-wise. I mm. think, you know, we, we still struggle at times with holding leads and stuff, but I think there is much more belief with him, and I think that that is largely credit to him because it's the same group of players. Like, yeah. you know, the, that's the reality. It, 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 ha- it hasn't changed over the last two or three years. All right, just finally then, Alex, with Saints. Um, obviously, they released their financial results last week, which we're just about to talk about on the pod uh, in a minute coming up. Again, obviously, time's going to tell what will happen uh, based on coronavirus and based on you know uh, the, the results in general and that sort of thing. But what are your sort of priorities for Saints this summer? Let's assume that the season either gets finished or they decide that it's going to be void as it is, you know, as in Liverpool be awarded the title, etc., etc., which none of us really want, do we? Not, but, uh, not Liverpool not getting the Yeah, well, that, that would be the ideal. Exactly, exactly. But let, let's assume, you know, as come the 1st of August, that Saints are in a position where they, they're starting to think about next season. What, what do you think um, the priorities need to be over the summer, the one or two sort of key things? Again, unfortunately, it all depends on what you're able to move out and mm. move on and for how much. I mean, I think yeah. that that's was a bit of the message coming out of the the financials. The, the release was, oh, you know, we'll kind of see what we can do depending on who we can move on and, and player wages taking up a huge, huge amount of our revenue. So yeah. big question mark. Assuming we're able to move some people on, I, I think what I'd like us, I'd like to see from us a little bit is a little bit more athleticism. Mm-hmm. So maybe more of an athletic center backs. You, you would say, you know, Virgil van Dyke, you know, he was a great example of that. He was just a, a, a strong all around athlete. And I yeah. think I love the Ben Stevens combo because I think they're both scrappers. Mm-hmm. But when you do have to go against a, you know, Mikel Antonio or a Sebastian Haller or yeah. forward who brings that element to the game. I think we could use someone who is a little bit more physically suited. And I think yeah. that was supposed to be Vestergaard. I think if we can sell him to, to Leicester as they mount a Champions League campaign, I think that would be great. Mm-hmm. I also would probably be, and this might be sacrilege, but I'm curious to know what you think and the, the other listeners. I wouldn't be the saddest to see Hoiberg go if we get 35, 40 million pounds for him yep. from Tottenham. I don't think he's where Schneiderlin ever was, and I don't know if he necessarily will get there. And I think, again, if you could bring in maybe another athletic, ball-playing, competing center mid, I think that would be interesting to to put along with James Ward-Prowse, somebody along the lines of you know, maybe a Decore or, or someone like that, someone who's a bit more rangy, because I think... Mm. I, I love how much space and how hard JWP works, but you know he he also might be somewhat physically limited. So I don't think I would focus as much on the strikers this year and, and try to focus a little bit more on just building a little bit more strength through the squad. Yeah, no, I don't disagree, and I think we all rate. 
Pierre and Mohoibe, but I think the fact, as you say there, you know, potentially 35, 40 million, bearing in mind, it doesn't sound like there's going to be a lot of money around unless we can get rid of the, the players on loan. Potentially you can bring two players in with that sort of cash, can't you? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so uh, there we go. Well, it'll be an interesting, I mean, I think it's going to be an interesting summer in more than one way, uh, but uh, we'll have to see what happens. But I was just going to ask, Alex, I mean, obviously in terms of you and the coronavirus and things like that, if there's no sport around, how are you going to keep yourself busy? I mean, if you live in LA, I mean, I imagine you can still go, what, surfing or those sort of things, can you? <laughs> Or what? I don't know. It's it's funny because this week has been arguably the rainiest week <laughs> of the year. Uh, I, I wanna, so I, I can't even go play golf, which is what I typically do yeah. after uh, if I get up early to watch the Saints, I'll often go straight from there to to play a little golf. Where's your local club? Give the club a shout out. Uh, my favorite place is Rustic Canyon, Rustic right. Canyon, which is up in Moore Park. It's a little bit of a drive, but it's a fantastic little public course. Yep. I, you know, I don't know. With all sport canceled, I mean, I, uh, in the U.S., I also like to watch hockey. I follow basketball. I'll follow baseball. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'll read, you know, yeah. and uh, my girlfriend and I are working on a puzzle. <laughs> we'll do that. And then <laughs> uh, be plenty of time, to, I think, from the sound. Exactly. Of it, yeah. Try not to tear <laughs> each other's heads off over the next few months. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I think we're all going to be like that. I, I, I was saying to my uh, wife earlier today, I don't know whether it's going to bring families closer together or it's going to push them away quickly, but uh, we'll see, won't we? But uh, look, I mean, thanks for joining this um, TSP episode. Always good to catch up, Alex. Obviously, thanks for your ongoing patron commitment. And uh, yeah, I mean, most importantly to you, the family, etc. Make sure you keep well and healthy. Thank you. Same to you and yours, Ben. Please keep up the good work with TSP. It's it's my favorite listen every week. I, mu- I must say, it's funny. I talk with John about this, that it, it almost feels like, you know, I, I've spoken to you a couple times. I've never spoken with, with Glenn, Steve, or Lucy, it, it, but it almost feels like when you guys hop on, it's like hearing my friends talk about the team. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful, and please, please keep it going. Okay, earlier this week, Saints released their 2019 financial results. Maybe it was the fact it was Friday the 13th, but it didn't make for necessarily great reading. The club posted a loss of £34 million, outlined they owed £90 million in transfer fees, that Les Reed was given a £365,000 payoff, and the matchday revenue had fallen from £19.2 million to £17 million. However, that was caveated with the club's overall debt decreasing from £19.8 million to £14.5 million, and commercial income growing from £14.9 million to £18.4 million. As was already known and communicated, Saints majority owner Jishin Gao continues to not invest any money in the club, but as reported via various outlets, including Dan, continues not to take any money out either. Dan, with the dust having settled a little bit since Friday when those uh, reports were announced, what do you think the general reflections are? Worrying or expected? Expected. It just highlights a poor transfer window and sort of failure to sell these players that are on a lot of money mm. and cost Saints a lot of money. Mm. Um, you know, the £65 million swing is essentially Virgil van Dijk. They don't have any more Virgil van Dijks to sell. So when you're trying to sell the likes of Wesley Hoop, Mario Lamina, Guido Carrillo, it's quite a difficult task. Mm. Um, in terms of the headline figure, it doesn't look great, but you know, I'm told that it's nothing to worry about. You know, they're not going to have people turning up at their door, putting stickers on things saying you owe us this or owe us that. Yep. They're still in a, I say the loss doesn't look good, but, you know, they're still in a healthy position. Um, they've still got money in the bank and their debt has fallen. So that that's obviously the good thing. Um, but again, you know, it showed that Gal's not putting any money in. Mm. Uh, like you say, you caveat that with not taking any money out. Um, but, you know, they're good people at the club, the likes of Toby and Martin. They are doing their best. But, you know, you can only do so much with what you've got available. Mm. And if you're told sell to buy, basically, well, these players are proven quite difficult to sell. Toby in the interview made the point that, you know, none of these players have been bought recently that they're trying to sell. Yeah. They were bought uh, not under Ralph, under previous managers, under previous directors of football, etc. So that that's going to be a challenge. But then that's why their argument is that, you know, we've got them out on loan, then they become more marketable. People can see what sort of what skills they have or whatever. I mean, I don't know how many of them are that skillful, yeah. but that's their argument for that. I know Toby came in for a bit of stick. I don't tend to read the daily Echo comments, but I did go through them on the accounts and I saw he was getting a little bit of stick for uh, what he said about that. But 
from their point of view, well, they're more likely to be marketable if they're out playing on loan than they are playing for the under-23s or just training Monday to Friday and then going home at the weekend. So, yeah, that's the crux of it. But the question is always going to be, how far can they go when there's no investment coming in? You know, I mean, it's almost like you've got an expensive car on the driveway, but you haven't got any petrol in it. You can't afford petrol. Yeah, I'm not saying their hands are tied, but it's a tough job. Like I said before, you're trying to sell players that cost you a lot of money. So you don't want to just give them away for nothing. But then other teams don't want to, A, they either can't afford to pay the price that Saints want, or then they can't afford to pay their wages. So it's, it's, it's going to be an issue in the summer. Do you just bite the bullet? let them leave for cheap and get them off the wage bill mm. or then try and hold out for a larger fee and risk them going out on loan again. You know, that's the sort of decisions they're going to have to face uh, over the summer. Yeah. Obviously from positive point of view, I saw that uh, Guido Carrillo actually scored yesterday as Lugano's beat Real Valladolid 2-1. So uh, that's uh, probably put a few quid on his uh, <laughs> rates anyway. So that's a good start. But yeah, I mean, just in terms of Toby then, I, I think um, I've met him a couple of times. He seems like a nice guy. I know Will from Saints Archive that I talk to a lot says he gets on very well with him. Glenn, from the Saints sort of fans' point of view then, probably ask the same question that I asked Dan. Would you say there was surprising or, you know, I know Dan wrote, I think it was just quite rightly a, a snapshot in time that was being provided or words along those lines? I think everyone knows that we're kind of hamstrung by the mistakes that we've made in player trading mm. over the last few years. I mean, you look at the five out on loan, four of them have been bad buys. Mm. Carrillo, Lamina, Hoyt, Elianusi. And Forster was the ridiculous extra contract mm. that we gave him when he was all his form had already gone off a cliff. Um, and we have issues there because we pay these guys too much money um, and we can't sell them abroad, which is what Toby Steele mentioned in his in his interview. But mm. he, he went all baldric at one stage and he, he kind of said we can't sell them abroad. But we could do if we want to, and then the figures wouldn't look too bad. Yeah, I've got I've got the quotes here, and I, I know Dan alluded to them. Yeah, just briefly then. So he said, the fact is, we have five players out on loan that we couldn't sell, and he then later went on to say, our transfer liabilities, what we've got to pay out, is bigger than the amounts we've got to receive. But we've got five very marketable players out on loan. Yeah, and then they're not marketable at all unless you're talking about two million for a loan fee. Which, I mean, I think some of these European clubs are actually. I mean, I can't believe Galatasaray are saying that they can only afford 7 million euros for Lamina mm. when they play in the Champions League every season. Mm. I don't get that. Um, mm. and, and I can't imagine, I mean, I, want, I don't know what we're paying him or what they pay players in Turkey. But but that's going to be the challenge, Glenn, is it? I mean, again, coronavirus aside, and we don't know what's going to happen in the transfer window, but clubs know that Saints are desperate to get rid of these players, so they're not going to offer 20 million if they can get you no, to sell them for seven or eight. Of course they're not. Um, and it's not, it's not just those five either. We've got others in the first team squad who are not really adding a lot of value at the moment and they're they've been bought for quite a lot of money and I'm I'm thinking kind of Vestergaard, Buffal, Shea yep. Adams even. They're they're not first team regulars, any of them. And we're paying a lot of money out for those guys as well. So we have been our own worst enemies. Um but I mean going back to the chairman, who on earth is going to invest in his project? Mm. Obviously if we're ruling out Chinese people that he knows because they can't send money abroad no one from this neck of the woods is, is going to invest in a project with this guy. I would, mm. I'd be amazed. So I think we're in a spot of bother there. Yeah. Um, and the, the other thing that Toby Steele was asked in the interview that I heard was, was about, you know, were there any rumours that the club is up for sale? And he didn't really answer that one either. The mm. question was, is the club up for sale? Yeah. His answer was, no, not aware of any sale to anyone. It was a bit... You know, you ask one question, you got another one back. And now I'm sure he probably had a day of it where he was getting asked, you know, all sorts of questions. At the end of the day, he's probably an accountant. So he's not used to speaking in public or doing media or, and, and stuff like that. So I'll, I'll give him a bit of latitude, but didn't fill me with confidence going forward. Yeah. There was a few too many contradictions in there. Yeah. Um, yeah so we'll have to see. I mean, but it did, it did tell me that I'm, I'm slightly worried if a if a bid comes in for one of our players who we don't want to lose. Mm, yeah, someone no. like someone like Nathan Redmond. Yeah. Um, or and you've got I think everyone's got to prepare themselves for the fact that Hoybier is going to go. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, yeah. I don't think there's there's any way he's he's not going to go. I mean, coronavirus might play a part, <laughs> but you know, it's it's looking 
that players and we've got a few coming up for one year left on their on their contract. And if we get offered any decent money for any of those, I think these financial results tell you that those players are going to go. Yeah, no, I think that's some really good points. Then, uh, I think certainly as a Saints fan, I was slightly concerned by Mr. Still saying we as a board of directors haven't been given any indication that he is looking to sell. I guess you don't necessarily get the confidence there as close to him as uh, maybe they think they are. But Steve, um, obviously Toby Still mentioned the 75 million transfer of Van Dyke swinging the, the figures before. I think that's completely understandable. I guess the concern, you know, this time around is that we haven't necessarily sold those players that we, we're talking about. You know, I think it's only Target and Austin that we've really sold. And of course, there's going to be the Danny Ings transfer this year as well. There's going to be the Che Adams, the Gineppo, etc. So it's hard to see that there's going to be much better figures next time around either. Probably not, no. Um, but I think part of it is also the way that football clubs account for their transfer fees. Because when you sign a player, then you can basically split the cost of that fee across the duration of the player's contract. Mm. Whereas when you sell a player, you bank the money on the books immediately. Mm. Mm. Even though you're probably not receiving that money all all at once, you're probably receiving it in stage payments in the way that you're probably buying players uh, with stage payments. So the, the one... The bit of the accounts to look at when when they do when they do get released onto company's house um, is the cash flow. Yeah. Because um, as long as the cash flow is is at a reasonable level, um, I mean it's probably going to be slightly negative, I would guess, because um, attendances are down. I mean, you said match day revenue was down what about two million quid. Yeah. So you would think from a cash flow perspective, it's probably going to be down slightly. As long as that curve isn't too bad then kind of the headline profit and loss figures are all, are always a little bit misleading, I think. Yeah. Um, cash cash flow is what kills businesses, not debt. Yeah. I mean, Man United have got £450 million of debt, and yet you would never say that they're in any sort of financial trouble. Their last um, accounts, I think they announced profit of about £80 million quid, Yeah. and they've been crap for, um, by their standards for, I mean, over many years now. Yeah. Um, Dan, from a, a sort of questions point of view, um, Tammy out in India said, what about the expiring contracts? How will we get rid of the deadwood? I, I guess you could sort of elaborate on that question, you know, in terms of if Saints are struggling for cash a bit, you know, we know that they're very high wage turnover at the moment, you know, in terms of the percentage and that sort of thing. So when you're trying to negotiate with some of these players to stay, it's going to be hard to do that if you're already paying above and beyond what you want to. Yeah, so you want about in terms of like Pierre and yeah, and then the, the likes of you know maybe, maybe Shane Long will be a different scenario, but players that you want to try and keep to support. I mean, he's a prime example, Hoiberg, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Hoiberg's a bit more nuanced though. You know, he's was he twenty four, twenty five. You know, he wants to get to the summer and then see what the, it looks like going forward. You know, mm-hmm. he's sort of taken a step back and said, right, well, I want to see what the direction of this club is going in. You know, if I think it's going in a positive direction and we're moving forwards, then yeah, I'll ask on a new deal. Yeah. Um, I know there are a lot of reports saying he turned down a new deal, but as far as I'm aware, he hasn't turned down a new deal because there hasn't formally been one put in front of him yeah. for him to turn down. I mean, he's obviously just got a new agent uh, who happened to get Cedric a move to Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden Tottenham wanted to sign Hoiberg on the last day of the January transfer window. Mm. But yeah, he's the interesting one. It's going to be in his court. Saints will offer him a deal. And then it, it, it is just entirely up to him. You know, if it gets to the summer and he says, no, I'm not going to sign it, then yeah, you just got to try and sell him. There's no point keeping someone like him for another year. Yeah. His performances on the pitch haven't been that great either. I mean, I don't think. Hmm. Um, he's, had a, he's had more off games than he's had good games. Agreed, yeah. Um, don't get me wrong, he's still a good player. And, you know, clearly is an important player in the team. Uh, he was the captain. But those sort of players that they're going to have to make decisions on. It's like, well, how long do you let this situation go on that he's not signing a new deal? Mm, mm. You know, do you want that to plague the summer? Or do you just sort of say to him whenever, I mean, I don't know how the summer transfer window will work now because of the season and all of that. But I mean, like you say, you know, I know you mentioned Shane Long, but Shane Long's like easy. You know, he's going yeah. to sign a new deal. They'll give him a new deal. He wants to stay. Yeah. His family are based down here. You know, he's happy. He's settled. He's 33. Ralph likes him. The team love him. Mm. That's a really simple contract for them to sort out. And, you know, had they had their points, they probably would have sorted out in this two or three week break that they were going to have anyway, because that was sort of when they were thinking about sitting down and really going through the contracts and and whatnot. I know Ralph says, you know, 36 points, 36 points, but you'd like to think that when they get 36 points, it's not going to be the first time they sit around the table and say, right, 
it's, that, it's not going to work like that. You know, discussions would have been had long before 36 points. Mm. Uh, it's just an important summer in terms of more so for selling players. I think they've got more of a decision on what to do with the ones that are out on loan. I mean, I don't know what the other guys think in terms of do you just, if you're saying, do you bite the bullet and just get rid of them? I, I mean, yeah, I think that was my view before. I remember talking to Adam about it, you know, that the club would probably have to to do that. Um, you know, they're not going to get premium rates as we've discussed before. But yeah, Steve, Glenn, I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, as you say, you're not going to get premium rates, but there's no reason why you can't get a fair price. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as, as you were talking about Galatasaray there, yeah, apparently if they're only willing to offer 7 million euros for, for Lamina, then, well, sorry, lads, that's, that's, that's not enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. If they manage to get up to, I mean, what do we pay for him? About 14, 15 million. Mm. If you got somebody up to 10 million quid, I think I'd probably I'd probably say okay we'll cut our losses at that point. You lose the wages as well, don't you? Yeah. Yes. Um, and also from a financial perspective, we've already paid off like three years worth of um, of his contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so from an accounting perspective, that's quite a big profit. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah I think if you, if you could get up to up to ten million for Lamina, I'd probably take it because I mean realistically he's not he's not going to be coming back here is he? No. Um, just from a character perspective he just doesn't fit. No, completely. Well I know Aaron from Saints World had uh, asked a similar question around the financial impact this will have on clubs worldwide. Uh, will this make shifting those unwanted players even more challenging for Saints this summer? So I think we probably covered that off Aaron. But Glenn I, I guess the reality is that you know if we can't sell the overpaid flops that we've spoken about that we've got out on loan, um, Mr Gal for whatever reason can't invest or won't invest or doesn't have the money to invest that the squad overhaul that we've probably needed for at least two summers now I would say likely won't happen this time around either. No. The only one out of the <laughs> out of the group of misfits, if you like, that I could see actually coming back, it's Wesley, believe it or not. It? No, it's not. It's Carrillo. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Carrillo. He's the only one because we haven't got a big target man centre forward. He's the only one that I could possibly. But I mean, he looked rubbish. Well, let, really let's did. remember that Les Reeves said in that, that fans forum last but one that you know the guy had a future and may well come back and surprise us. Yeah. Well, maybe it's working in the shop or something like that. But I, I, you know, I just, I mean, I named him in my worst Saints eleven of all time uh, of the last ten years, rather. So, I mean, but are Celtic going to be able to buy both Forster and Elianusi? What sort of money is there in the Scottish game that they, you know, they're going to offer us in terms of transfer fees? I think we are going to have to bite the bullet, and this, this mm. is the major disappointment I've had with. Um, with Gao and the lack of investment because you know I thought when you bought a business you invested in it to give it a chance to move forward and we needed someone to stick a bit of money in to draw a line under the mistakes that we'd made you know with the transfer window and the players we'd signed and and move on and he's not done that so we've been trying to move forward with the old ball and chain around the ankle basically for the last well, I don't know how long Gal's been here. I've kind of lose track. But, three uh, summers, wasn't it? But I, I think yeah. the thing is, you know, whilst the Libras did a lot for us, Glenn, I mean, let's remember as well, when this situation happened, it was the, the statement was around investing from someone who will take the club forward. Well, arguably, he's taken the club backwards. Yeah, yeah, he has. Um, and I, I think the, the, you know, the Chinese government um, dropping the bomb about not not investing abroad, um, that obviously will will have had an effect, but he hadn't invested anything prior mm. to that. And there was no reason to believe that that he was going to, and it, mm. it does, it it does kind of worry me um, how this sort of deadlock, if you like, is is going to change. Um, is unless he appoints a a Cortese like figure to um, to find a buyer somewhere. Mm. Um, I, I don't see the situation changing because, as I said earlier, I can't see people investing. Steve, one quote that uh, slightly concerned me, just t- talking about the summer overhaul as well, then was. Uh, Toby obviously said, if we sit here and say in the summer that we are happy with the squad and we don't want to make any changes, then it won't be a problem. It was the 90 million that we currently owe to other clubs. So are we concerned by that? Or do you think, again, that's reality? A um, little bit of both. I mean, there's a kind of sort of old sort of saying for as long as the Premier League has been going is that basically if you're not looking forwards and continually evolving, then you will um, you will go backwards. It's mm. impossible for a team to stand still in this league. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if we go backwards, then we're in a whole world of trouble. Yeah. Not an awful lot of distance to go backwards before you're genuinely in the whole proper relegation trouble. Mm. I mean, we've we've kind of skirted around it over over the last two or three years, and just about had a little bit of quality that's just come good at the right time. If we don't kind of put money in and 
into the sort of recruitment side of things uh, this summer, then we're going to be in trouble again because mm. a lot of the other clubs will spend some money. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't necessarily subscribe to the fact that Gal should necessarily be putting his own money in. You've got to find the money from somewhere. There are mm. there are areas of the business that underperform. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, just finally then, Dan, to sort of finish the financial results, I, I guess I was interested to get your view on how you think all of this might impact Ralph, because, you know, we know his enthusiasm and desire is still there. You know, I think we're at the moment keen and, and confident that he is, you know, wanting to remain a Saints manager, but we know he's ambitious as well. So do you think these sort of results, you, you know, may sort of temper some of his enthusiasm about how he can take Saints forward and if he can take Saints forward? Uh, I don't think so, no. You know, he knew the club he was coming into. He would have known that the owner doesn't necessarily won't give him a hundred million pounds to spend every transfer window. Uh, I think in his first press conference, you know, he made it pretty abundantly clear that well, he hopes Saints won't be his one and only team in the Premier League. You know, he obviously wants to manage at the top, and he's got a deal cut his cloth really at Saints. I guess with what he's got, he's doing a fairly good job. I mean, I I don't know. It's quite hard to say. Mm. You know, they he did sign a few players in the summer. Uh, They've not exactly set the world on fire. He chose Kyle Walker-Peters in mm. January. He's not exactly done anything or been given the chance to do anything. Ralph's not a Koeman or a Pochettino mm. in terms of, you know, you could just tell that they were exceptional. He's a very good manager. I think he's still got a bit to go before getting to that level. And Saints is a good club for him to do that at because, you know, it gives him the chance to work with the players and, and whatnot. I mean, don't get me wrong, I do think he will end up uh, one of the so-called bigger clubs, but mm. no, I wouldn't worry from a Saints point of view, from sort of behind the scenes, you know, he's quite keen to sign a new deal because he wants to sort of show the loyalty that they showed to him at the beginning of this season, you know, how many teams would have stuck by someone after losing 9-0? Mm. Probably not, not many. Um, things don't last forever, so eventually he will move on. If I was a Saints fan, I wouldn't worry about him seeing this £34 million loss and thinking, right, I'm out of here this summer. Yeah. Uh, you know, he'll sign a new deal, see how that goes. There might be a point where, you know, let's say he gets them to, to 10th or, or whatnot, and then he might turn around and say, right, you know, I've got you this far. Now I want this, this and this in terms of money yeah. to take us from 10th to, say, 7th or 6th. That could be a sticking point in the future. But as the guys have alluded to, poor business over recent years has kind of slowed a lot of progress and they're still paying for that now so they're a bit of a way away from that I think yeah well it'll be interesting to see what happens in the uh, coming weeks and months um, I guess I should finish with one final comment from Toby Steele quote from the club's financial perspective we aren't seeing anything to be nervous or worried about I guess as fans who love the club we should trust him on that Right, that's the end of this week's podcast. Hopefully we've done a decent job given there's no football on the pitch to talk about. Big thanks to Steve, Glenn, Ali, Alex and of course Dan Sheldon from The Daily Echo. Who knows what the coming weeks will bring. As Jerry Springer would say, take care of yourselves and each other. We will be back the next couple of weeks with uh, some brand new Total Recalls for you, which we hope you'll enjoy. For now though, football, we'll miss you and that unique feeling you give us every single week. It's going to be a fight. Keep marching in.
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.